Um, If you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 8. Um, This morning we're continuing our sermon series called Foundations of Faith, where we're studying again the importance of spiritual habits in our daily lives, of growing ourselves spiritually, of engaging in the same spiritual activities we see Jesus himself engaging in. Our goal is to live as Jesus lived. Our goal is to practice the same spiritual habits that were the driving force of Jesus' own life and ministry. Again, Jesus is our master, amen? Jesus is Lord, and we are his disciples. So we should desire to live as he lived in his relationship to the Father and others. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at the spiritual habit of worship in Jesus' life. That's my title, the spiritual habit of worship. Now we've already discussed how Jesus learned from a young age to fill his life with God's Word. We've learned, we've looked at how he filled his life with prayer. And now we're going to look at how Jesus filled his life with worship. Now this goes all the way back from Jesus' time with his parents. We learned, and we looked at, um, we see this um, even from a young age when Jesus was left in the synagogue, when he was, sorry, when he was left in Jerusalem, when his parents took a pilgrimage when he was 12 years old, Jesus was accidentally left there, and they find Jesus in the temple worshiping. This was the habit of Jesus' home, okay? Jesus worshiped with his parents in their home as they read and prayed together. They attended their local synagogue for worship each week. They journeyed to Jerusalem each year from Nazareth to worship before the Lord during Passover and the other feasts. And Jesus says there, when he's 12 years old, that I must be in my father's house. He was among those um, that were in charge of the temple, the center of all Jewish worship, interacting with those who oversaw worship. So, what we're going to look at today is John chapter 8. So turn to John chapter 8. I want to read verses 25 through 30. And we're going to focus in, basically, we're going to look at some aspects of this text, but we're going to zero in on the end of verse 29. This is when Jesus is interacting with the religious leaders, and they're questioning who Jesus is, and Jesus is explaining to them that he is the Messiah, he has been sent by God, and he is, um, he is the true light of the world. And this is what he says in his interaction with them. In verse 25, it says, So they said to him, Who are you? They're very confused. They're not really sure who Jesus is, and he's trying to explain that he's the Messiah. And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. It says, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, speaking of his crucifixion, his resurrection, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Now here it is. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. 
And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, the end of verse 29 is where we're going to place our focus this morning. Jesus says that he always does the things that are pleasing to his Father. That's what Jesus claims. And so I want to camp there and to demonstrate and demonstrate through several other passages how Jesus lived a life of unceasing worship, pleasing his Father. That is my first point this morning. We're going to look at just a couple of points, and this is my first. Jesus lived a life of unceasing worship. If you read through Jesus' life, everything about him is a life of unceasing worship to his Father. We see this in the word always in verse 29. Jesus says there, you can circle it, highlight it, put a line under it, but notice what Jesus says. He says, I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. Jesus doesn't sometimes please his Father. Not sometimes. In fact, this was the Father's own testimony about Jesus at his baptism and at his transfiguration. Two places where the Father actually speaks and other people hear what the Father has to say about the Son. If you'll recall at his baptism, as the, Spirit, as the heavens open and the Spirit descends on Jesus as a dove, they hear this voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father is pleased with the Son. And then if you go to the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus pulls back the veil of his flesh and they behold his glory, the pre-incarnate glory of Jesus, the Father there speaks and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I want you to think about that for a second. The Father is well pleased because the Son always pleases Him. The Father is always pleased by the Son because the Son always seeks to please the Father in every way. Jesus is an unceasing worshiper of His Father. The Father is worthy of the Son's love and worship. Now I just want to take a brief aside as that line might puzzle you some. Just a brief aside, very brief, I promise, but enough for you to think about for the rest of this day. This is one of the mysteries of the doctrine of the Trinity. One of the mysteries where the Father, Son, and Spirit have eternally existed together, pouring out love and affection and worship one for another as co-equals who share the same nature, being, and essence. The Son worships the Father and walks before Him, ever pleasing Him. Now there are several things that we have to think about that as it relates to us. First, we are all unceasing worshipers. Whether you think so or not, all of us are unceasing worshipers. It is continuous even for us. Worship does not stop and it does not start. We tend to think worship is what we do on Sunday mornings. That could not be furthest from the truth. You are at all times worshiping whether or not you even know it. Everything about you, whether you are preaching 
or playing or parenting, you are worshiping. It is how God created us from the very beginning. It is part of our very being and essence as we are made in the image of God. We can no more stop worshiping than you can stop breathing. Second, everyone, this means a way of saying it in other words, everyone is at all times worshiping something or someone. Everyone in this room, you are always worshiping something or someone. The question is not whether you are worshiping, but what are you worshiping? That is the question. The human heart was created by God to constantly pour itself out in praise and adoration of Him. But that, and this is why all things were created for the glory and worship of God. And that's why sin is so dangerous and so heinous, because sin is turning away from worshiping God to worship and praise other things. That is the definition of idolatry. So the question for all of us is, what are you worshiping? Another way to ask it is this. What are you looking to, to save you? What is your savior? Or fill in the blank. If I had blank, my life would be perfect and satisfying. Fill it in with anything. Could be money, could be a job, could be a career, could be a thing, could be a, a, an experience. If I had blank, my life would be perfect. Or on the other side, if I lost blank, I would be devastated. Think about that. That's how people give away the things they worship. Because the things they worship are transient and moving all of the time. They either are filled with joy when something good happens or they're devastated to the point of despair when something is taken from them. And I want you to know that if you watch the news and you pay attention, our world is absolutely filled with worship. No matter how much the atheist or agnostic protests, they live lives of worship. Everything about us is worship. Just think about it. Our, our, our world is filled with the worship of self. Social media proves this to the nth degree. The worship of self or the worship of money or the worship of comfort God forbid everything nothing in my life go the way I want it to go God forbid I go through any difficulty or trial I am worthy of a comfortable existence we worship comfort we worship health we worship sex we worship power we worship pleasure we worship success we worship sports. Shout out to Tennessee pulling out a game yesterday. It should make all of you happy. If you are devastated, I might say it's worship. Ooh. But Ole Miss won too, so I can't fuss too much. But we worship sports. We worship politics. Gosh, my party doesn't win. It's the end of the world. Gosh. Somebody's not in office, the world's going to completely be obliterated. It's worship. We have to be very careful. We worship religion. Any religion. Everyone is at all times worshiping someone or something. And Jesus says, I always please the Father. I'm living a life of unceasing worship to the Father. Second, Jesus unceasingly worshipped by the things he did. Notice what he says there in verse 29. He says, it's not only the things he, not only 
the, not only by, his, by, by um, him always pleasing the Father, but notice that he says there, I always do the things that please my Father. You can underline, do the things. Jesus was committed to doing the things that pleased his Father. That was the great aim and mission of Jesus, to please his Father. Anything that pleased the Father, he would do. Anything that displeased the Father, he would not do. And that is, by definition, a life of unceasing worship. Living to please our Father. In every respect, that is the great aim and mission of our life. And this, so here's the question. How do we see Jesus worshiping throughout his life on his own? I want to kind of take you through a journey in John. So keep your Bibles ready to be turning left and right. I want to show you a couple of verses. But I want to begin in verse 26 here. Um, just, I want to begin by saying I have a few, I have a few things to point out here um, about Jesus unceasing, unceasingly worshiping by the things he did first. Jesus worshiped by his every thought and word. By every thought and every word in his life, it was an act of worship. Look at the end of verse 26. He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And he says, I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Jesus' mission is to declare to the world what he has heard from his Father. So when Jesus is teaching and Jesus is preaching, he declares what the Father tells him to declare. Every word, an act of worship. Jesus reiterates this at the end of verse 28. Look at the end of verse 28. He says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Every word, every thought. In worship to the Father. To please Him by every word and thought. If you were to flip back to John chapter 7. In verse 16. Jesus says this. John 7, 16. Jesus says. It says. So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine. But His who sent me. Okay. John chapter 7. John chapter 8. Jesus is being very plain. Every word I speak is not mine. It is from the Father who sent me. You don't have to turn there, but if you were to go to John 14, Jesus says this. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Over and over again, Jesus is saying, every word is a word my Father has given me to speak. And Jesus worshiped not only by every thought, he worshiped by every work. Every work. In John 14, Jesus says this. He says, the Father who dwells in me does his works through me. Every word, every work, every miracle, every outpouring of compassion, every mercy, every grace, all as worship directed from his Father to his Father. Every word and every work. Now I want to say here that we must do the same. Paul says that he takes every thought captive to bring it under Christ's rule. Paul doesn't even want a single rogue thought to exist in his life outside of Christ's rule. And we see the same thought in the Psalms. One of, our, one of the things we say frequently in our church, we pray this, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. Noting, knowing that God is ever present before us, every word, every thought, every deed. And Paul says in Corinthians, we make it our aim to please Him. 
every word, every thought as acceptable worship. And we do this because this is what Jesus did. So Jesus worshiped by his every work. And Jesus worshiped by his continual humility and obedience. Everything in Jesus' life modeled his continual humility and obedience before the Father. Now look back at our text in John 8. Jesus says in verses 28, in verse 28 and following, just look at this. Notice what Jesus says. He says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. That's the Messiah. You'll know that I've been sent by the Father and I am the light of the world. He says, and that I do nothing on my own authority. Notice the humility of Jesus. Nothing I'm doing is on my own authority. He says, but speak just as the Father who sent me, in verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. Over and over again in the Gospel of John, Jesus says these same things. It's like he's beating this dead horse that I am not sent of my own accord, I'm not sent of my own authority. The Father has sent me and I'm humbly obeying him with every word, thought, Indeed, in John 5, 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. A life of unceasing obedience and worship and humility. In John 5, 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is true, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And then Jesus says this in John 8, one of, the most, one of the most incredible claims I think Jesus ever makes. In John 8, 46, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he asks this question, which of you can convict me of sin? Which of you? Think of saying that to a group of people who had dedicated their entire lives to keeping all 613 of the Old Testament commandments to the seventh interpretation, and Jesus says, not a single one of you can prove me of a single sin. Not one. Now they tried their best, but not once could they convict him, convict him of a sin because he lived a life of humility and obedience. And then Jesus worshiped by his self-sacrificing service. Jesus worshiped as the suffering servant, giving himself, laying down his own life for all others. Jesus says in John 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus said that his disciples should make that their habit as well. He says, if anyone wishes to be my disciple, what must they do? Take up their cross and follow me on the road to Calvary. Because that's what I'm doing. And Jesus' worship, finally, I want to close this way. Jesus worshipped through his relentless pursuit of God's mission. All of Jesus' life, worship before the Father. Look back at our text from John 8. Notice how many times in John 8, just these few short verses, that Jesus says that the Father has sent him. Every verse I've read from John, John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 7, John chapter 10, John chapter 14, the theme is the same. It's not my teaching, not my deeds, not my words. This is all the Father who has sent me. The Father has sent me on a mission. Jesus over and over again says this. He has been sent on a mission and he will accomplish it. And every step 
towards that mission, hear me, every step towards that mission is fueled by a heart of worship. Everyone. I want to read you one text in John chapter 20. Just flip over there with me. This is, this is the last one we will look at. Flip over to John chapter 20. This is after the resurrection when Jesus appears to his disciples. He's already been crucified, arrested. He's been convicted. He's been crucified. He's been buried. And now on the third day, he's rose again. He's appeared to Mary Magdalene. And now look in John chapter 20, verse 20 and following. It says there, I'll begin in verse... I'll begin in verse 19. It says, And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus stood, came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And look at this. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them all and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing that Jesus takes the same language that he has used every step of the way in the Gospel of John. And in John 20, after he is resurrected and he's about to be glorified and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he says to them, I am sending you the same way the Father has sent me. I want to say here that worship is what fueled Jesus' commitment to the Father's mission. And worship is what fuels the mission that Jesus has given us. We have been sent into the world the same way that Jesus has been sent into the world. We have been sent with God's Holy Spirit and with the gospel of grace, just like Jesus. And we have been sent into the world, hear me, as worshipers who are seeking to invite everyone to the great throne room of God where they will worship Him forever and ever. We are sent as worshipers, just like Jesus. And where there is no flame for missions in our heart, there is no worship. The fuel for missions is worship. Delighting ourselves in Jesus forever. And where there is no flame and burning passion for God's glory among the nations, then no real worship exists. And we have to come face to face with that. So how do we do this? How do we develop the continual habit of worship? How do we practice the presence of God each moment in our lives? How do we worship with our thoughts, words, deeds, and acts of service? Here's my answer. We have to, by God's Spirit, walk with and after Jesus. You have to walk with Jesus and after Jesus and become more like Him as we worship Him. So I want to give you four things, four practical points. You can write these down and think on them the rest of the week very quickly. If you want to develop the spiritual, act of, the spiritual act of continual, habitual, unceasing, ongoing, uninterrupted, unmitigated worship, number one, you must love Jesus more than anything. Because anything you love more than Jesus is your God. 
and that is what you are worshiping. Let's be very clear and very blunt and very honest. If you don't love Jesus most of all, whatever it is you are loving is your God. So read, pray, and think your way into treasuring Jesus more than anything. You can't love someone you don't know or that you barely know. Second, another way to help you do that, start each day with Jesus as your priority. Focus each day with Jesus as your priority. Your first first moments of the day tend to set your direction for the rest of the day. Recalibrate it all day long. Jesus, I am yours. May I glorify you. Third, make pleasing Jesus your definition of success. There are a lot of definitions of success in this world. None of them will matter when you lay your head on your pillow in your coffin. Make pleasing Jesus the definition of success. Think about Jesus and pray before making decisions. Faithfulness to Christ is success. Not money or fame or power or anything else the world offers. And then finally, find your highest happiness and joy in Jesus. By the way, you notice I'm just saying the same thing four different ways, right? I'm just saying the same thing four different ways because as a preacher I have to get creative. Because if not, y'all say I'm boring, which I don't care. Because pleasing Jesus is the definition of success for me. Pleasing Him. So find your highest joy in Jesus, not in other things. God has given you great and eternal blessings in Jesus. Focus on what you have in Him and not what you don't have in this world. Because I can tell you, if you have Jesus, you have enough. You have enough to be satisfied forever. And you need to take every other joy and every other pleasure that Jesus throws at you, and you need to be grateful to Him. You worship the giver and not the gift. Make pleasing Jesus the definition of success, finding your highest joy in Him alone. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that, Lord, we would model our lives after Jesus, and that, Father, we would walk with you tightly, closely, intimately, Father, making, taking every thought captive, every deed, bringing it under, under the rule of Jesus. Father, that every relationship we have, every decision, every thought would be aimed at pleasing you in every respect. And Father, when we fall short, and we will, and when we struggle, and when we fall away, and when we hurt, and when we choose poorly, and when we are led astray to worship other things, oh God, grant us repentance. And Father, may we continually walk in repentance, realigning, recalibrating our life to walk after Jesus, who is our treasure. And Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.